We are going to do two of my favorite things on the episode today. One, we're going to talk about basketball. And two, we're going to engage in the very kind of intellectual masturbation that I love most, which is hypotheticals that are unanswerable about the greatest of all time. Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend, Brad Stolberg. Brad, how are you doing, my man? I am doing wonderful. You caught me in a great moment. I just took a nice warm shower. I'm drinking some Vietnamese cold brew coffee. So um, I'm happy. How are you? I'm doing great, you know, especially since that was a warm shower and not butter in your coffee. And I know you're not going off the rails. All right, sorry. Nope, just cream and sugar. <laughs> the ba- the basics. But you know what? That's why I love what we do on this podcast. Because we don't have to pitch supplements. We don't have to pitch the latest fad. We don't have to pitch, you know, whatever crazy stuff people want to sell. And that way we get to have fun with it and just give what works. So if you want to support us, since we're not pitching that, what we do is we have a Patreon group. And you can head on over to patreon.com slash the growth equation, sign up, be a part of our monthly book club, quarterly mastermind group, get a copy of our next book when it comes out, and all sorts of other good stuff, some behind-the-scenes work. We've got videos of of Brad actually discussing some of his favorite going in depth on some of his favorite topics. So you get behind the scenes work. It's just a cool group to be a part of to spot or to support us. So you can join that patreon.com slash the growth equation. And the other way to support us is to buy our books. Our latest books, mine do hard things is out in doing well. Brad's the practice of groundedness has been out for over a year now and is continuing to change people's lives. So Pick a pick up a copy of either of those, or if you've read them, recommend them to a friend. So the only thing we'll ever sell y'all is our books, and um, it's because we believe in them, and it's because uh, we take our own medicine. I mean, Steve and I have never regretted spending seventeen to thirty dollars on a book. So if it's something that we're comfortable investing in, then it's something that we're comfortable uh, telling y'all to invest in. And uh, as Steve mentioned, our books are our best work. Only other thing I'll add is for those of you that are new to us, the books are also available on Audible. So if you prefer listening, uh, you can check them out on Audible, on Libro, pretty much any place you get books, audio, or hardcover. All right. So let me... uh, Ooh, I just got excited. People tell me I need to bring energy. I just yelled and got some echo there. So I'm bringing the energy and here's why. We are going to do two of my favorite things on the episode today. One, we're going to talk about basketball. And two, we're going to engage in the very kind of intellectual masturbation that I love most, which is hypotheticals that are unanswerable about the greatest of all time. Now, the context is this. We are recording this about five, six days before this podcast will drop. And LeBron James has just broken Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. So now he has scored the most points in the history of the NBA. He did this at age 38. I believe he is fourth on the all-time assist 
uh, records. And he continues at this age to post almost triple-double averages a game. For the non-initiated in basketball, this means LeBron is not just really good at scoring. He also is great at playmaking and rebounding the basketball. Now, my wife, who is one of the only people that's a bigger basketball fan than me, shared with me a tweet from four and a half years ago where someone said there's no way LeBron's going to break the record. In order to break the record, he'd have to average 25.8 points a game between years 34 and 38 and not get injured. And guess what? He's done just that. And not only is he not injured, but he's having one of the better seasons he's had in his career. It is absolutely insane. Now, we're going to get into basketball, but I think zooming out, I really want to have a conversation about greatness. Because whether it is a basketball player like LeBron or MJ or Kobe or Luka Donich or Jason Tatum, we're going to get in all these guys. Whether it's an athlete like Serena Williams on the tennis court, whether it is a musician like Adele or Beyonce, whether it is a beautiful work of art like the sculptor, our good friend Emil Alzamora, like we, we are just here to talk about greatness. And for me, as both a fan of basketball and a fan of excellence and a fan of these hypothetical intellectual conversations, um, it's, this is like high time, man. I get to talk about the greatest of all time. I get to talk about excellence and greatness um, and it's really incredible. You know, we, we went back this morning cause my, my five-year-old, almost five-year-old is obsessed with basketball and, um, we watch videos of MJ and it's nuts how incredible MJ was. And then we got into watching Ray Allen and Ray Allen's jump shot can almost bring me to tears. So, um, let's dive in and let's start by addressing the elephant in the room, just as kind of the centerpiece of the conversation who is the best basketball player of all time? LeBron James, Michael Jordan, or somebody else? All right. So I think this is unanswerable, first off, is, is the point. Yes. Um, and I think that's what we're going to get to. But it's a fun conversation. And I think we have to break this down into a couple pieces. Is the best or the greatest of all time or whatever have you, that doesn't give us much structure because that could mean a lot of different things. Is it the best at their peak? Like if you put them both side by side at their peak, like who wins? Is it the best over a career looking at the totality of what they've done? Is it the best when you compare them in their own era versus other eras? Something that, again, is incredibly difficult and something that hampers, I think, our comparison of even athletes like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Wilt Chamberlain or other past greats. Um, there's all this kind of nuance and complexity to it that I think makes it an unanswerable question. But I think, you know, where I like to go with this is that you know, there's a select handful of players who have fundamentally, I think, taken over and changed the game. And I would consider Jordan and LeBron at the top of that list. And they did so in different ways. Yeah, that's 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 kind of how I approached it this morning before we decided to talk about it on the podcast was um, just looking at the the tree of players that will inevitably cascade 
And with MJ, you have a little bit more time. So after MJ, we see Kobe Bryant, who is clearly his own great athlete and own great basketball player, but also in MJ's image. Then we see Devin Booker and Jason Tatum. Very similar game to MJ. Whereas with LeBron, now we see a player like Luka Donich. And I don't think that you would have seen a player like Luka Donich before LeBron. So I think something that they've both done is they've both fundamentally transformed the game. For the basketball nerds out there, I think you could kind of argue that Kevin Garnett transformed the game. I don't think anyone in their right mind puts him as a top 10 player of all time. But I think that he kind of gave way to like the really um, athletic center that can do everything on the court or athletic power forward. So you could kind of argue that like a Durant is in Kevin Garnett's image. Um, But he didn't dominate like MJ or LeBron did. Now, Bill Russell is also a really interesting person to discuss here, right? Never lost a game seven. How many championships? 11? 13? All the championships. Um, And he played in a different era. And somebody commented on social media that it's kind of foolish to compare players from different eras as well because the rules change, the games change, and so on. Um, And it's like people will discount Bill Russell because of his size, but size is an important part of basketball. Uh, And, you know, it's, it's tricky. So, but I don't know. Do you put Bill Russell up on that podium? Maybe. I haven't seen enough Bill Russell game tape, to be honest. It, you know, honestly, you also have to throw in uh, Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain. Yeah, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna take this in a direction that I think everybody will know. I think his argument not only did he you know average 50 points a game for a season one one season, but he also listened to these stats in the world of track and field. He high jumped six six, ran back then the 440 yards in 49 seconds the 880 and 158 and long jumped 22 feet it, it, in that like i get his basketball but like could you imagine you know a 71 guy cooking around a 49 second you know 400 it's mind blowing anyways i digress back to what you opened up this podcast with will chamberlain was not cold plunging <laughs> in the evening and to start his day, he was engaging in high intensity activity all night. Also like he, that man had a nightlife. Um, not that we're endorsing that kind of nightlife, uh, but just totally different era. And like, I say that obviously jokingly, but also kind of seriously, like imagine how good someone like that would be with a little bit more of the, the sports psychology and in mindset in, in tools. Let's stick to MJ and LeBron. I think so. First off, I think we can agree that it's foolish to try to name a greatest of all time. I think that you have to say greatest of all time, plural, greatest is of all time, multiple greatest of all times. They can share the podium. Something that you pointed out to me. So I I had this observation, Steve, that they both had to overcome quite a bit, but very different. So I said that LeBron had to overcome really from being in ninth grade on the AAU circuit, having expectations that he would be the next great player. His nickname was the great one in high school. That is a huge burden to carry and not mess up. I said that MJ had to overcome getting cut from his team in high school and being underestimated. 
Now, you told me that a lot of that is myth. So let's dig into this because the story of MJ was always right. He got cut. He was short. No one said he was going to be great. And he kept on gritting it out. And it really wasn't until he hit that clutch shot for University of North Carolina, go Tar Heels to win a national championship that he kind of ascended. And even in his first years in the league, no one expected him to be like the best. But you told me that a lot of that is is mythology. So let's let's get some basketball education. All right. So I'm not the expert here, but I want to deep dive on Michael Jordan's history and motivation because this fascinates me. Is is first off the high school story? Is there's nuance to it. So it's not that he lied. It's that there's nuance to it. So Jordan didn't get cut from his basketball team. He on the team he was put on the JV team as a sophomore instead of the varsity. Now, if you look at um, what his coach and then other coaches and athletes at the time said, essentially, was one, Jordan hadn't hit his his growth spurt. He was like maybe 5'9 or 5'10 or something like that at that, that age. <laughs> um, and then secondly, um, that was kind of the normal path. It was very rare, exceedingly rare for a you know freshman or sophomore to just jump straight to the the varsity team at that kind of stage it was a different era of basketball it wasn't the kind of youth star one driven that we have now the AAU kind of drive and instead the coach thought you know what I'm going to let him develop I'm going to let him get his time his playing time not throw him on the varsity until you know he's upperclassman essentially so that's important because I think it, it gets at something that is a trend in Jordan's career is that he tends to take small slights throughout his career and then blow them up and make them personal to fuel his, his motivation. And we can take this further and I'll give a couple examples. But, you know, even the high school. So first off, what we do know is Jordan became a high school star, which made him recruited by you know, North Carolina, one of the best basketball programs. So, of course, he has to be a star. He also started, I believe, at least, you know, part of the season as his freshman year, which you're you're talking about a team, again, at that point, that is one of the best in the country, you know, expected to go far in the, the tournament. And he's starting as a freshman. So it tells you, again, he's, you know, they might not see him as a superstar, but that was kind of rare back then. It wasn't the one and done that it is now in the college ranks. And then he goes third overall after being the college, you know, star, as you said, player of the year, his uh, his junior year before he goes into the draft and then gets picked third overall behind, you know, number one was Hakeem Olajuwon, one of the greatest of all time. Number two picked and didn't turn out, but it's not like, he was he was you know disrespected by going third behind behind Hakeem. I will say this real quick, Steve. I went ahead and I pulled up Michael Jordan's junior varsity stats, and he was good, but he was not a dominant junior varsity basketball player. So the team went under five hundred, and Jordan had two games where he scored over forty points. But here's thirteen, fourteen, sixteen, six, seventeen. 24, 14, 20, 21. So he wasn't dominant on the JV team. Yeah, he wasn't. But he was very, he was dominant by the time he got to be a senior. 
Yeah, let's check that out. Hold on. I mean, because I, I find this so fascinating. Because so then, in, so then in tenth grade, MJ is what I would call a good b- basketball player. I mean, to be totally honest, outside of the forty-five point games, those look like my numbers on the JV team. <laughs> By the time so he was a senior, he averaged. Yeah, 20- he's averaging over thirty points a game, and yeah. his team is eleven rebounds, ten assists. So. Yeah, you're looking at the same thing I am. Yeah. yeah. And his team is really solid, 27 points a game. Yeah. Got it. So, but but MJ, to your point, he still has that chip on his shoulder that, hey, as a sophomore, I was yes. scoring 17 a game on JV. Yes, exactly. Like he carries that. And there's some wonderful stories. There was one story quickly with uh, the, the Seattle Supersonics coach, George Carl, who didn't say hi to him one, one time at, when they were at the same restaurant before the finals. And then MJ just like essentially uses that as the motivation. And, and he talks about how like he saw it as the snub and like, how dare this coach not pay attention to me and acknowledge me. And like that was the fuel in the finals. So he is like the master at taking things personally. And I'm sure, as you said, he wasn't a stud as the, maybe as a sophomore in high school, but he takes that hey, I'm on JV initially as like, hey, my coach disrespected me and I'm going to use this fuel as motivation. In fact, his Hall of Fame speech, like he mentions his high school coach among many others that fueled him. So I think part of it is like there's little kernels of truth that Jordan then just like amplifies to the nth degree. But he wasn't an underdog. No. Is what you're saying. By the time he got to the NBA... No one thought he was going to be the best one ever, and you can't compare his expectations to that of LeBron. It's incontestable that LeBron had the craziest expectations dating all the way back to the beginning of high school, maybe even before. And LeBron couldn't say he was an underdog because he was the anointed one, the chosen one, the great one, the king. And um, to carry those expectations and not mess up, lose your mind, become a substance abuse patient. Like it's it's pretty remarkable. And the LeBron haters out there are gonna hate, right? Like there's the decision thing where he like held a press conference to leave Cleveland. There's some remarks that he made about China. There is um his like not so strong condemnation of Kyrie Irving's lunatism. Is that a word? Craziness, whatever. So no one's perfect. And, and and I'm not saying that LeBron James ought to be perfect. But in terms of someone that's been in the public eye since age 13 with the greatest, loftiest expectations ever, he's done a pretty damn good job. You know, I think this is one of the most impressive things because think of the child stars, the movie stars, the phenoms and athletics just the stories of so many who have struggled outside of outside of sport because of the expectation, the pressure, or just the strangeness of growing up, you know, where essentially your identity is public from the age of 13 or earlier. I mean, even the ones who had a lot of success, maybe like a Tiger Woods, like still had his period where, you know, he went... <laughs> Went through a lot of controversial things. Michael Phelps. Yep. And, and, and I think that's, it's not to, you know, discount or disparage like the people who, who went through this stuff. But I think that's, 
you know, part of the burden of, of having that success and notoriety of that young age. And it's really, it's difficult. And I can only imagine how difficult it is, but to come through that on the other side and not only succeed, and I would say ex- exceed expectations. I mean, yeah, I was the chosen one, but he literally became, you know, the gr- in conversation with Jordan as the greatest. And But he did it in a way where, you know, without major violence or substance abuse or domestic domestic abuse or going to jail or anything like that, which is just kind of astonishing. Yeah. And I, I think that a part of it, well, hear me out again. We said that this, this whole conversation is in the spirit of intellectual masturbation. So um, I am getting out of my, my, my authoritative expertise hat. And now we're just talking is, is friends here. My hypothesis is that part of it is a, he has had such a long career and B he's obsessed with basketball. And I think that one reason that athletes have an easier time while they're playing, not always, but an easier time while they're playing to not succumb to all the things that other childhood prodigies do is because their job still fundamentally requires craft work. So if you're a movie star, you are famous for being famous. Now I'm not taking away from how hard like good acting can be, but you're not acting on an 82-game season every year. Whereas if you're playing basketball and you genuinely care about the game and you want to be as good as possible, you maybe adopt more tunnel vision that keeps you from getting yourself into trouble. I'm thinking of another childhood prodigy, Kevin Garnett, um, that has also had like a really solid, reputable career. Uh, Kobe Bryant ran into all sorts of problems and re- rehabilitated, many would say, quite well. Um, Michael Phelps struggled not when he was swimming, but right after during his retirement and his transition and, and has been a role model since then and sharing his struggles. And, you know, anyone that looks at Michael Phelps and judges him, like, screw them. It's like, of course he struggled from like addiction. <laughs> what was he doing for 18 years, if not being addicted to swimming and being rewarded for it? Like, let's get real. Um, whereas I think that sometimes you see movie stars and musicians that get a little bit away and athletes that get a little bit away from the craft. And, um, and those are the ones that struggle in, in LeBron as a teammate, people do not generally like playing with LeBron. Why? Because he makes the team abide by a curfew. He wants everybody showing up to practice at the right time. He wants the drills to be meticulously executed. Like, he is there for mastery and excellence and craft. And I think that that maybe has helped keep him focused. And, and, and same thing with someone like a Kevin Garnett. Yeah, you know, the other name that comes to mind in, in hockey is uh, Sidney Crosby, who had similar yep. expectations and then has, you know, handled it um, remarkably well. And I think there is something to the craft. I think that, you know, as as you trace this, and I'm, I'm not kind of dis you know, putting down Jordan here, but it's almost like the lineage and the time is Jordan's era wasn't as like, if you compare Jordan and then Kobe, who was kind of the next in line, like Kobe had that similar addiction to the craft, right? And then LeBron has kind of carried that through as well. So it's interesting to see the kind of evolution and yeah, Jordan was, you know, big on practice, all that stuff. And obviously obsessive over, you know, performing and hyper competitive. Um, 
But I think that that is one difference in this era is it's a little bit more normalized, not entirely, but it's more normalized to take care of yourself and, and kind of be devoted to the craft more so than during the 1990s. Yeah, and Kobe ran into his fair share of problems. And, and I, I, I don't know enough to say anything other than it's pretty astonishing that the late Kobe Bryant now is a basketball player, absolutely phenomenal. Is a teammate? Depends on who you ask, much like LeBron James or Michael Jordan. Is a person um, pretty clearly engaged in sexual assault and rehabilitated his image to a place where he is beloved, not just by male athletes, but by many of the best female athletes in the world. And that's maybe a different conversation, but it's just fascinating um, what a complex figure he is and also how complex his like reception is as a star is versus someone like LeBron who comparatively is like totally untarnished as, as a person um, or a Serena Williams uh, who, you know, who, who kind of came in under her sister's shadow and absolutely dominated with no, I mean, her scandal is like swearing in an official. Come on, that's not a scandal. That's being a pro athlete. Yeah, Serena had the the complaining about the anti-doping, but we'll leave we'll leave that one over. Um, but I think she's a great example of someone else who had all the pressure in the world and then exceeded those expectations, you know, exceeded the wildest of expectations. With a so, focus on craft. Yeah, with a focus on craft, which is, you know, it, it, it's almost like you need that thing to kind of center you and to keep you from falling for the, you know, we'll use the example you always use, which is the Allen Iversons of the world, which, you know, craft, who's talking about practice, man? We don't practice. Like, that's Allen Iverson. How good could he have been if he, like, had the focus of a LeBron or a Serena Williams or or whoever it is? Yeah, and, and I want to be careful not to rib on anyone, including Allen Iverson, because we're not in their shoes. Again, I think it's it's inarguable that when Allen Iverson showed up to play in a game, he played yes. as hard as anyone on the court, if not harder. And it's incontestable that he'd go out drinking and gambling in between those games and had no interest in practicing. Whereas someone like LeBron does the former, but not the latter, and, and puts the two together and therefore is the greatest of all time, sharing that pedestal. It, and I think it's it's important because that's that's true. Is it's not judgment on these guys. Is 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 often you see substance abuse or gambling or what have you because they're performing at such a high high and chasing again such high highs. So it's not it's not a coincidence that you often see even Jordan with his gambling uh, issues. It's not a coincidence that you see this because like in one sense athletic sense they fueled that kind of that drive and that uh, obsession or to a degree addiction and something we'd call positive but that 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 is still underlying there so yeah. it's hard it's hard and that's why i think i'm very impressed with the lebron or serena or who have you have you is that like they channeled it and then didn't have that that other side of it which is impressive yeah, and I, I've gotten to work closely with someone who was truly best in the world at what they do at a young age, and it fucks up your dopamine system. Like, 
you get that kind of high and rush and like the world is your oyster and everyone loves you and you're just crushing it and the thrill that comes with it. And then the rest of life can seem pretty boring. So I'm just echoing what you said about like, it's not surprising that we see gambling and drinking and drugs because you're just searching for that rush and like, you're not going to get it on the basketball court forever. And it kind of comes back to what we wrote about in The Passion Paradox, by far our most underrated book, which is like the 24 to 48 hour rule, which was all about like after a huge win or a big loss, give yourself 24 to 48 hours to like celebrate or grieve, but then get back to doing the work itself. And I think what we're saying here is we always have to caveat because people like my dear wife take things very literally. We don't actually mean it has to be 24 to 48 hours, but the point is like you want to get back to doing the thing because the thing keeps you grounded. The thing reminds you why you got started in the first place. And um, I think the greats that are able to carry the weight of childhood expectations are constantly obsessed with the thing. And they don't therefore get caught up in all the accoutrements surrounding it. Yes, that's a great way to put it. All right, let's get back to answering our question. So we had this nice little tangent, which I think explains it, but who's the greatest? I mean, I I think they share the podium. I'm not here for that conversation. I'm with you. I think that MJ and LeBron are the greatest of all time. I think that they both remade the game in their image. I think they both dominated an era. They both won. You know, I'm going to change my mind, I'm sure, in the next year or two. But earlier I said if LeBron wins another championship, he's the greatest. But that was before I watched highlight reels of MJ. And I'm like, you know, both these guys are the greatest. I think, you know, it's kind of like um, like our boy Rick Rubin writes in his new book. You know, to compare and say which piece of art is better is just nonsense. It's art. Neither art is better. It's about how it impacts you. And I think that to to riff a little bit here, I think that LeBron and MJ are artists. And and when you watch them play, like you're like you're just watching art. And and for the basketball fans in the house, especially the young guns that that didn't necessarily grow up in the same era that that we did, Steve, please, for the love of me, go YouTube a Ray Allen highlight clip. And watch Ray Allen shoot the basketball. I mean, like, these guys are, they are, it's art to me. Like, it makes you feel something deep down inside. It's greatness. It's art. And I think comparing art is stupid. So I think they're both the greatest of all time. And I think that I'm obsessed with Ray Allen. And and that's clearly coming out. Like, it's nuts. It literally almost brought me to tears. That guy had such a refined jump shot. It's insane. All right, there you go. It's art. Uh, to quote the late Steve Prefontaine, a race is a work of art that people can look at and be affected in as many ways as they're capable of understanding. I think all of sport is art to a degree. And, yeah, I mean, know, that's it, right? It, it's completely art. And that's why, that, like, that to me, that's the most valid use case for paying these, these athletes what they make is that like part of what makes life worth living is experiencing all of these crazy feelings and excitement and sensation and awe. And a lot of athletes can, can do it. Now, am I saying they should make 200 million over four years? That's what the market's saying. So it doesn't really matter. But I I think that there is real value in, in the greatness and in kind of the art of greatness. I think so. I think I think so. There's something about seeing almost the limits of 
human potential be pushed. And I think what we're getting at is like, you know, to use the track analogy, I can marvel at Elliot Kipchoge running pretty dang fast for a very long time. And I can marvel at the speed and power while being completely relaxed of Usain Bolt sprinting for 100 meters. And I don't have to compare them because they're different art pieces. And it's just amazing and astonishing kind of watching them. And I think what we're getting at is like, that's what LeBron and Jordan are is like, yeah, they did played the same game, but they brought slightly different aspects to it, which makes them a unique art piece of pushing the boundaries of what we thought what what we thought was, you know, could occur. And I think that's why after Jordan, you saw people kind of like Kobe and others who we talked about at the beginning shift, you know, their position to kind of mimic or open the door for that style. And I think we're going to see the same or we are seeing the same with LeBron. And that's kind of the, the basis of good art is it gets imitated and improved on or, or, or pushed. Love it. All right. So I hope that y'all found this really entertaining. Um, I know I enjoyed this conversation. We appreciate you listening. If you like the podcast, rate it, give it five stars, leave a review. Those actually matter. And um, please share it with your friends, your colleagues, your family. Now for the diehard basketball fans, if you want to hang on, We've got some extra credit here. Uh Uh-oh. Kyrie Irving going to the Mavs. What is Mark Cuban thinking? I mean, I can tell you what he's thinking because Caitlin and I had this conversation. I think the old, I can't tell you what he's thinking. I can tell you what I think he's thinking, which is it's really freaking hard to win a championship in the NBA. Luka Donich has gotten them really close, but probably can't do it alone. And this is like swinging for the fences and it's going to either be a year and a half of Kyrie's antics and contract and it doesn't work out. But if they can just keep Kyrie Irving sane, playing good basketball for three months, they could win a championship. Now, after I told that to Caitlin, two hours later, we're watching basketball because our house loves basketball. And what do we see at the halftime show? Since that trade, Kyrie has now deleted his apology tweet for the anti-Semitic movie that he plugged. So can Kyrie Irving keep it together for three months and play basketball? I don't think so. And, and it's just so nuts because to sit there and watch Kyrie over the last month while Kevin Durant's been injured playing really good basketball and just not being an asshole just like patting his teammates on the back and to hear Doris Burke and Stephen A. Smith and all of these commentators like start to fawn on him again. And I'm thinking like, these people are nuts. This is like the same Kyrie Irving who's a lunatic. Like, wow, can people forget about things when someone's playing basketball well? And right when he's on the verge of starting to to rehabilitate his reputation, what does he do? He demands a trade and says that he feels disrespected by Brooklyn. It's, It's nuts. So are the Dallas Mavericks going to win a championship this year and or next year? Or is this just a huge mistake? And is Luka Donich going to be able to lead? 
Like that's another problem. This isn't my original thinking. This is what Stephen A. Smith said on the halftime show is people are saying they feel bad for, for Kevin Durant. I think it was Kendrick Perkins or Jamal Crawford, one of the other commentators who also played. So these guys have skin in the game. They're saying they feel bad for KD. And Stephen A. Smith's like, I don't feel bad for KD. Like you left the Warriors to, to have your team and not once through this Kyrie circus, his Kevin Durant publicly stepped up and said like, Kyrie, get your head right. Like we're here to win basketball games. Is Luka Donich going to be able to do that? I don't know. Does Luka Donich, like, who knows? It's, it's going to be fascinating. And Luka's really good. I think Luka's better than Kyrie. Like, what, how's Kyrie going to do that? Now, people also say, back to our conversation, that Luka Donich plays the exact same way that LeBron James plays, right? Like, he's in the LeBron James tree. And Kyrie Irving played really effectively as LeBron's right-hand man. Oh, man, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, I, I think it is a big swing for the fence. I think it was um, it was Daryl Morey, uh, the, the, the vice president of um, 76ers, former GM of the Rockets, who I remember he had this kind of rule that said, like, if you've got a 5% shot of winning the championship, you go all in, essentially, or you yep. do what you can to win it. And... There's there's probably some truth to that, and I think this is the Mavericks' shot at that. But it's it's kind of like the the go big or go home. Like it either wins you a championship now, or you've kind of mortgage you're potentially mortgaging the future because if it blows up in your face as it did with Brooklyn, look what happened with Brooklyn. You had you know what the trio Harden, uh, Durant, and Irving just blow up when those are, again, three of the most talented guys in the NBA. Um, so it, I don't know. I don't know. I, I got to think that their hope is this, is that they're over halfway through the season, right? You've just got to manage. Four months. Know, I said three months. It's actually yeah. under four months, which is a big ask of Kyrie. It, it is, but like, there's, there's, I think, this idea that, oh, if we could just manage the last, whatever, 30 games of the season, 25 games of the season, whatever it is, and then get to the playoffs, maybe the playoffs and chance to win will, like, focus him. Yeah, but he doesn't have the camaraderie and the psychological safety with that team, so I think things almost have to go, like, swimmingly well. Because imagine they fall down in a series or, like... yeah. You know, someone decides to shoot instead of give the ball to Kyrie at the end of the game, and, and he loses his mind. Like, there's not that foundation. Oh, 100 percent. You're you're taking the big swing. Yeah, and I I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's going to work. I don't either. I mean, I think he's kind of a disaster. <laughs> yeah, he's the worst teammate of all time. So, and if you if you compare that again, I know everything's different, but generally, if you look at the history of of a variety of sports, including basketball, like generally the really bad teammate who's super talented move doesn't pay off. Right. I mean, my beloved Detroit Pistons traded Chauncey Billups for Allen Iverson. And since then the Pistons franchise has been on a steep downhill descent. Uh, I like Boston. I think they're going to win the championship. I think Jason Tatum is really coming into his prime. I think Jalen Brown's great with Marcus Smart can be healthy. They're really good. I'm rooting for your boy, Daryl Morey, because he loves your books. Our boy, Brent Barry, going to be tough. Going to be some rebuilding over there, but they could do it. Um, 
And, and, you know, watching the Sixers, man, like that's another team that clearly they didn't throw their hand in the ring for Kyrie, but they're probably one player away uh, from winning a championship the way that Joel Embiid's playing. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I don't know enough about the West. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It It's, there you go. There's our basketball talk. I don't know. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have pulled it. The, the Lakers on. should bring Ray Allen back, though, and just stand <laughs> in the corner and shoot threes. Like, it's, it's astonishing that the Lakers, for as well as LeBron's playing, for as solid as Anthony Davis is, that they just can't win basketball games. And I think it's because no one on that team can shoot. So if you're listening, Jerry West, or who's ever running the Lakers organization now, sign up Ray Allen, bring him back, have him stand in the corner, shoot some threes. And uh, and see if the Lakers can't get in the playoffs for LeBron. I gotta say, it was very disappointing watching kind of LeBron do amazing things to break this record, and then they're just they just they're just losing. No one else on that team can score. Yeah, it's no one. But in in what Russell Westbrook's going to win Sixth Man of the Year? So like they have players that are playing well. Anthony Davis, when he's healthy, is playing well. It just doesn't click, and I'm convinced it's because they don't like. LeBron has to, if LeBron, Russell Westbrook, and Anthony Davis combine for 90 points, the Lakers will lose 118 to 96. Like they just don't have anyone else that can score the basketball. Yeah. And shoot from the perimeter. Yeah. I think you're, you're spot on. And so much of the game now is you got to have someone who can shoot from the perimeter. Yeah. All right. Well, this was, this was fun. I don't think that Bill Simmons is going to hire us for the ringer anytime soon, but. You know, there are a few things that I would walk away from the Growth Equation podcast to do. And one is talk about basketball with no stakes attached to my prognostications. So (laughs) those people at the ringer have pretty good jobs. There you go. If you enjoyed this, thanks for listening. Share it, like it, review it. Keep supporting our work. We appreciate you all. And support the Milwaukee Bucks too, not just those Celtics. Remember, Giannis Antetokounmpo is like the growth equation, like homeboy. That's right. He works hard. He's a gym rat. He has fun. He's like fierce and very serious, but also very lighthearted. Chris Middleton's back. He's healthy. Drew Holiday, one of the most underrated players in the NBA. I mean, buckle up. If you're not a fan of basketball, um, it's, it, it's, it is fun because uh, there's a lot of parody and, and these guys are some of the best athletes in the world. So what we got we'll be back to our regular programming next week if you liked the basketball talk let us know if you didn't like it let us know either way we'll probably do this occasionally but no more no less 